Recently released Q3 numbers show that investment volumes are still dropping across all property types. But with inflation leveling out, CBRE recently predicted the Federal Reserve may begin cutting interest rates as soon as March of 24, which could drive investment activity recovery by mid-24. Go to junipersquare.com forward slash state of real estate, all one word, to learn more about these and other CRE market trends, including why the U.S. market still strongly appeals to international investors and the boom in private credit. Again, that's junipersquare.com forward slash state of real estate, all one word, to learn more. I'm Brandon Sedloff, Managing Director at Juniper Square, and you're listening to The Distribution by Juniper Square. Join us as we sit down with experts from commercial real estate, venture capital, and private equity to discuss trends in technology, fundraising, and private markets. We'll cover this and much more. On today's episode of The Distribution, I sit down with David Howard, Chief Executive Officer of the National Rental Home Council. This was an exciting episode for me, as David and I have known each other for many years, dating back to our time at the Urban Land Institute. We cover important trends in the SFR market, including the difference between scattered site and build to rent, as well as some of the demographic trends that are driving a push towards single family rentals, as well as the housing affordability crisis in the United States. What really stood out to me was the way that the residential housing space mirrors what's happening in the broader economy from both a demographic and a macroeconomic perspective. David, thanks for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. I always appreciate the opportunity to talk about the single-family rental hub space. So again, appreciate you bringing us into this conversation, and I'm looking forward to talking with you more. Perfect. Well, you and I go way back, but most of our audience may not be familiar with you. Can you start by introducing yourself and maybe talk a little bit about your career and you know how, how, you, how it's evolved? And let's, let's finish by talking about NRHC, the organization that you lead today. Absolutely. So David Howard, I'm the CEO of the National Rental Home Council. A little bit about me. I've been in the real estate trade association space really for the better part of my career. I've had a part in all of the major food groups, I think, in commercial real estate. I worked for the National Association of Real Estate Investment Trusts, which was kind of my foray into the commercial real estate space many years ago. Uh, From there, I went to the Urban Land Institute, where I had the great fortune of working with the likes of yourself, Brandon. I was at ULI for 10 or 11 years. After that, I went to the National Association of Home Builders, and I was there for three or four years. And then from NHB, came over to NRHC in the fall of 2019, September of 2019 to be exact. So I've been with NRHC now for for going on four years. So again, I've, I've kind of had the had the opportunity to work in real estate for the better part of my career, certainly whether it's with sort of the securitized part of the market with NERI to the more sort of general development piece of the market with ULI to the residential and home building piece with NEHB and now with rental housing with NRHC. And it's been, you know, it's, it's been a great for me. I've gotten to know a lot of really good companies. I've gotten to know a lot of really good people, all of which I'm thankful for. And I think, you know, where I've been in terms of you know, perhaps some of these more established sectors, whether it's, again, REITs or home building or development, I think has set me up personally well for where I think the single family rental home market is heading. 
In, in terms of NRHC, the National Rental Home Council, we're a relatively young trade association. The organization itself has been around since about 2014. Although I, I will tell you, it, it's really only been over the past five, six years that the organization has, has really started to move forward in earnest, which I think reflects a lot of where the industry is heading. We represent primarily owners and operators, well, and I should say builders of single family rental homes, whether that's traditional scattered site or build to rent, which, which, which I hope we can spend more time talking about further in the conversation uh, because it's a really exciting and, and fast-growing piece of the business. But we don't represent owners, operators, and builders exclusively. We also have a membership, a pretty, pretty thriving membership, actually, of uh, other business partners in this space, so service providers, vendors, technology companies, manufacturers, uh, et cetera. So we've got a really nice mix of companies in the rental housing space. As the representative trade association for the industry, we do a lot of activities that that you would expect any trade association to be engaged with, do a lot of developing and disseminating of best practices, which actually is, is as an aside, a, a really interesting piece of the business because single-family rental, frankly, is, is such a new and growing piece of rental housing market, there, there's a lot that we're sort of learning as we move or move along. So it's a very exciting time from a best practices standpoint to be in the industry. So again, a lot of developing and disseminating of best practices, whether that's from the operation side, the technology side, or what have you, we do a lot of convening work. So which really goes hand in hand to some extent with what we're doing on the best practices side. So gathering folks from the industry, industry experts, company executives, builders, gathering those folks together to talk about the issues, to really set the course for where the industry is going. We just we just had our large annual conference, which we hold every spring. It was in Nashville. Next year, it's going to be in Houston. I'll put a plug in for that in early April. And then I think finally, what I would say is we're spending a lot of time focusing on informing and educating folks about the single-family rental home space there 10 to 15 years that the industry has really come together to coalesce around common objectives, things that we want to achieve, things that folks within the industry recognize are important to the future of the industry. Really, again, only that's only really taken place over the last, say, 10 to 15 years. Whether that's communicating with the media, we have a very robust program of engaging with the media to tell the industry story, to respond to anything that the media might be interested in when it comes to single-family rental housing. We also spend an awful lot of time on kind of the legislative and regulatory aspects of the business. So working with policymakers, working with elected officials, both at the federal level in Washington, D.C., at the state level in those places where the industry has more of a significant footprint, and even down in some instances to the local level. So we spend a lot of time working with policymakers on those issues that either impact owners, operators, and builders of single-family rental homes, whether those, whether those are 
large companies or the mom and pops, the folks who own you know a handful or fewer properties. So again, educating policymakers in terms of the legislative and regulatory priorities of the industry. But we also do an awful lot of work with policymakers to talk to them about what matters to the residents themselves, the folks who are living in the homes that our members either own or have built or both in some cases. And so again, a lot of that work takes place in Washington, D.C., but a lot of it takes place in the states and in localities where our members have a presence. I, I would tell you, we're probably spending a little bit more time than I would like on policy issues in Washington, D.C. at the federal level. I'd like to maybe transition a little bit away from that so that we're more focused on what's happening at the state level. Now, obviously, real estate is a very local business, um, as you well know, Brandon. And so we want to be as relevant as we possibly can for our members and, and, and their residents in the places where where those residents live and where our members own properties. And, and so obviously that means we need to be more visible in the states that matter to us. And finally, I'll just say as, as, as a way to, to support that effort, last year we started establishing chapters of the National Rental Home Council. So we now have chapters, active chapters in North Carolina, Arizona, Georgia, Florida and Texas are next in the lineup, and then we probably have another handful of states after that. I'm not sure we'll ever get to the point where we have 50 chapters representing all the states in the country, but we hope to get to a point where we've got a good 10, 12, 15 active and relevant chapters in the places that matter to us. That's a great overview. And a lot of our listeners may not appreciate the role that trade organizations and industry bodies play behind the scenes, you know, many of which are member led and have a really important role to play in, you know, helping to educate the legislators and, and the local government, you know, national national and local government, as you just said. So for our listeners who aren't as familiar since, you know, rental housing is a relatively, you know, it's an old sector, but new from a kind of professionalization perspective. You mentioned scattered site and build to rent. Can you help kind of frame up, you know, what is rental housing or what is, you know, what is it not, if that's easier? So our listeners have a a point of reference. Yeah, let me just set the table, if I would, in terms of the market itself. I mentioned earlier that the, the business of renting single-family homes has been around forever, hundreds of years in this country, obviously. But but it's really only been over the past, say, 10 to 15 years that, that the industry has come into its own, I think, as an asset class. And and, and that will continue to, to grow for very good reasons, which we can talk about later. But again, in terms of what the industry is, I, I think when most people think rental housing, they tend to think apartment buildings. There are about 44 million units of rental housing in this country, 55 to 60% of which are multifamily, so structures with five or more units. Everything else is classified as single-family rental. So again, you know, depending on, on whose numbers you use, there are anywhere from 18 to 20 million units of single-family rental housing in this country. That includes traditional detached single-family homes. It also includes duplexes, triplexes, and things like that. So anything from one to four units is 
categorized as a single family structure. And, and again, there are anywhere from 18 to 20 million of those units. So I, I think when, when, again, most people think about rental housing, they tend to think about apartment buildings. And when we talk about the fact that you know, fully 40 plus percent of the rental housing in this country is in fact single family rental, I think that's a little eye-opening for folks. I, I'm not sure people either have thought about what single-family rental housing is. And if they have, my, my guess is they had no idea that it was that large and that significant. So, so again, it's a big number. Of that 18 to 20 million units of single-family rental housing, the vast majority, something like 16 million, is accounted for by traditional single-family detached homes, either in communities or sort of standalone situation, what we call scattered site single-family rental housing. Of all of those units of single-family rental housing, those 18 to 20 million units, the largest ownership sector is mom and pops, individuals, folks who own one to three homes. And, and usually, you know, these are property owners often referred to, again, as mom and pops or accidental landlords, folks who have have bought a home that they're holding on to for, for retirement, to pay for their kids' college education when, they, when the time is right. They've inherited a home. They had, they've inherited the home they grew up in. They bought a home with a couple of college buddies. You know, that, that's sort of the, the profile of the folks who own most of the single-family rental housing in this country, somewhere in excess of 80% of those 18 to 20 million units. At the other end of the extreme, you have fairly large companies who are in the single-family rental home industry, some of whom are publicly traded, some of whom remain private companies. These large providers of single-family rental homes account for close to about 600,000 homes across the country. These large providers of single-family homes are a relative, relative new player in the single-family rental home space. Large companies have been in the multifamily space for a number of years and now account for you know, anywhere from 45 to 50% of the multifamily housing in this country. In the single-family space, the share of housing accounted for by large providers is, is much, much smaller. It's somewhere around 2% of the market. But it's a growing it's a growing piece of the market. And, and again, I think there are some very good and legitimate reasons why there need to be large providers in this space. And I think the share of the market accounted for by larger providers will, will continue to grow. But again, at this point in time, most of the single-family rental housing in this country is owned by either individual owners or, or very small local businesses. Single-family rental homes obviously are in every uh, state of the country, every city, every county, every municipality. So, so again, it's a big market. It's it's very much a decentralized, almost disparate sort of market in terms of the ownership structure. But we're working very hard to to bring all of those owners together and all of those service providers together because I think um, again, it's it's uh, it represents a very important slice of the American housing market. It's a piece that deserves to have a voice speaking on its behalf, frankly, whether that voice is NRHC or someone else, whether we're talking with media, whether we're talking to policymakers, what, you know, what have you, there are some very important issues at play that we can get into. 
in the rental housing space and in the single family rental housing space in particular. To your, to your question about kind of the breakdown between traditional scattered site single family rental and build to rent, I mentioned build, build to rent is a, a, an exciting and, and I think quite innovative part of the single family rental home business. Just as owning single-family rental homes has been around forever, the building of single-family rental homes has been around forever. But historically, building single-family rental homes has taken place more on kind of a one-off basis. You know, a couple of homes here, a couple of infill homes there, that sort of thing. For years, activities in the build to, in the in the business of building homes for rent have have, have changed. Quite markedly, so that now what you're seeing, what we refer to build to rent, we're talking about the building of entire communities, or at least pieces of large communities that are exclusively built for rent, uh, for rental purposes. And so you might see a master planned community of 250 homes, where all of those homes are are rentals; they're not for sale homes. Uh, you might see Master plan communities made up of a thousand homes where some of the homes are for sale, some of the homes are townhomes or apartments, and some of the homes are built for rent or single family rental homes. And so there's, there's a lot of variation in the space. There's a lot of diversity in the space. But generally, when we talk about built to rent, that's what we're referring to building of new home communities. And, and a lot of these communities are, are, are very nice. And the demand is, at this point, very, very strong. Uh, many of the communities have a lot of what you would see in a more traditional kind of master plan community. A little clubhouse with, uh, with a pool for the residents, walking paths, green spaces, uh, walkable communities. And, and, you know, again, given where the U.S. housing market is in terms of available inventory. We all know that there are serious supply constraints at play in the housing market, frankly, that are not likely to resolve themselves soon, given the affordability issues related to the supply problems. Being able to rent a newly built single-family home in a dedicated community with lots of sought-after amenities is an option that just makes sense for a lot of families. It, it can be a good fit for their budgets. It can be a good fit for their lifestyles. It could be a good fit for where they're heading in terms of their longer term housing needs. What I think that's fascinating, and and I had no idea the scale of you know single family rental units, and then you know the relative scale of kind of the, what the large providers account for that six hundred thousand units approximately. When you think about one clarifying question, so build to rent, should we think of that as like a subcategory of SFR, meaning, you know, they're detached homes that are just purpose built for rentals? I think that's what I heard you say. Or is it a or is it its own category? Is SFR one thing and BTR is another? How do you think about that from a you know acronym and and kind of naming convention perspective? I I think about build to rent as a subset of or, or a sector within the overall single family rental home market. And, and I'll tell you why. The the building of single family homes, either for sale or for rent, is is one thing. 
being able to manage those properties as rental homes for the long term is something completely different. And so you see a, you see a lot of arrangements, a lot of situations in the build-to-rent market where you'll have a home builder, either production or smaller scale, who will build homes under contract to a single-family rental housing provider, a company that will agree to purchase you know, 200 homes that a home builder is building. And that single-family rental home provider has the expertise to manage those properties as rentals for the long term. It's a very different business. Although I will tell you, speaking of kind of the variation and, and diversity within the space, you also have companies who, are, who follow more of a hybrid model, who might be more vertically integrated, who do the, the home building on their own account and then continue to manage those homes once they're built. So, so again, there are a lot of, lot, of, lot of flavors in the build-to-rent space within the single-family rental home market. A lot of diversity. I mean, you've got some companies in terms of the single-family rental home market, you know, just by this conversation, you can tell there's there's a lot that that goes into it. You've got owners, you've got builders, you've got large companies, you've got individuals, you've got companies that focus on the affordable housing side of the business, you've got companies that focus on the luxury side of the business and, and anything in between. So again, a lot of variation, a lot of diversity, whether you're talking about building or owning. You mentioned demand earlier, and I want to talk a little bit about that. I read a recent statistic from John Burns Real Estate Consulting that came out. This is being recorded in June of 2023. And if I'm getting the statistic correct, it said the cost of owning a single family home is now over $1,000 more per month than renting. And that's gone up substantially. What are you seeing from a supply and demand perspective, given the current macro environment, we're in a high interest rate environment, housing prices, you know, for sale housing prices are still quite high. And we know through the headlines, there's been a tremendous uptick in demand for rental housing. What are you and your member firm seeing from that perspective? So we, we always start the conversation with supply. There, there, there really is is not enough housing in this country to meet the demand. And, and, and that's not something that has snuck up on us. That That's a situation that has been at play really for a number of years now. One of my favorite statistics is back in the 70s, throughout most of the years of the 1970s, we used to build about 400,000 units of entry-level single-family housing. So housing at sort of 1,400 square feet and smaller. We used to build about 400,000 of these homes a year. In 2021, we built less than 60,000. So that statistic alone sort of shines some light on what, on what the real issue is when we're talking about, about the housing market. You know, depend, again, depending on whose numbers you use, the U.S. housing market is undersupplied anywhere from 3.8 to 3.9 million units if, if you if you read Freddie Mac uh, research up to six or seven million units if you if you look at the National Association of Realtors data so we're short a lot of homes is the issue and 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 people need housing and so there's a mis mismatch between demand which remains strong for housing and the supply of that housing and when I talk about 
the fact that we don't have enough housing, I'm not just talking about for sale housing, I'm talking about rental housing as well. We need more housing of all kinds. And when we were talking about build to rent earlier, one of the things I love about the build to rent space is it brings new housing online in a very direct way. Yes, it's rental housing, but it's housing nonetheless. And, and that's, that's the crux of the issue. We need more housing. And the way that you get more housing is you encourage investment and you encourage development. The two go hand in hand. And so from a policy standpoint, we spend an awful lot of time talking to folks in D.C. and elsewhere in state capitals across the country about the need to encourage and even incentivize new housing supply by bringing in more development and more investment. That's really how you address these issues. And so the supply crunch is going to be with us for a while. You brought up a good point, which is if, if, if you have a situation where there's not enough of something, in this case housing, there's going to be an affordability challenge. And, and that's where we are. I, I will say I think a lot of people have been caught off guard by the fact that as interest rates have, have been going up dramatically over the past 12 months, housing price, the price of housing has not come down by the same degree. I mean, typically what happens in a situation like this is obviously when it becomes more expensive to to pay for housing through a mortgage, the housing price needs to come down to reset. And that really hasn't happened, which has been a, a, an interesting twist on on the housing market. But again, fundamentally it all comes back to the fact that we're just we just don't have enough housing. And and so, you know, what are some of the trends that you're seeing in terms of you know, the the demand, you know, we mentioned we're supply constrained, but what are you seeing in terms of the demand for the availability of rental housing stock? Is it people who are primarily priced out of the for sale market? Is it people who are choosing to rent instead of buy as a lifestyle choice? What are you, you know, how, how are some of these, you know, we're experiencing massive demographic shifts in the population. How is that manifesting itself through rental housing today? It's really a lot of all of that. We're seeing demand from a lot of different demographic groups and demographic subsets. When you look at millennials, you know, the millennial generation is huge. For the first time in history, more millennials are now homeowners than renters, which is something that just happened earlier this year. And so you know, what, says, what that says to us and as an industry, this is not a surprise based on, on data that, that we collect. The desire for home ownership really hasn't subsided. People today want to be homeowners almost to the same degree that generations past did. I mean, I think there's a little bit of a misconception out there that younger people today don't desire to be homeowners. And we're actually not seeing that. We're actually seeing, again, the, the desire for home ownership is as strong as it's ever been. But What's different is the path that people are taking today to get to home ownership is different than it has been in years past and with generations past. I mentioned that millennials were the largest generation in history in, in the U.S. They have been surpassed by Gen Z. So, so millennials have been surpassed in terms of numbers by Gen Z, the generation on their heels. And so it they're still, it's still a little early to know exactly where Gen Z and how Gen Z will move through the housing market. But I think, I think it's safe to assume that 
you know, the patterns will be somewhat similar to to the millennial generation, where that desire for home ownership is still there. Having you know, having said that, a lot of what's been driving demand, supply aside, are things like work from home, and we've seen that very directly in the single-family rental housing space, really starting for obvious reasons during the COVID years, as more people were working from home and schooling their children from home, the demand for more space just 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 went off the charts. And so you know, people wanted a home office or wanted an extra bedroom that they could convert to a home office. They wanted a garage for storage. They wanted a front yard so they could get out and 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 get some exercise or a, a sidewalk that they could they could take walks on at night. I mean, the demand for extra space within within the home was supercharged during the COVID years, and that had a dramatic impact, frankly, on single family rental housing, whether again traditional scattered site or a lot of a lot of what's driving the bill to rent movement. People just wanted more space. And you know, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see over the years to come what impact work from home has on how people behave vis-a-vis their their work life balance. Will people go back to the office more on a full-time basis? Will they continue to work from home? Will the, will a hybrid model where people are working three days a week be with us indefinitely? Uh, you know, a lot of that is very, very relevant for obvious reasons to the housing market. We, we did a survey during, I think it was 2021. As a matter of fact, I think it was a survey that John Burns did for us that showed 60%, I think it was 60% of new residents of single-family rental homes were coming from downtown apartment high-rise situations. And so it, it was something that we saw very directly. I think, frankly, that demand for more space is going to be with us for for some time to come, which I think will continue to push the demand for housing of all types in the in the suburbs and you know, outside of, of urban areas. And so we'll say constrained because we were dealing with COVID and more people found themselves working from home. A lot of this kind of came together to to move the the, the demand for housing way up and and. Single-family rental homes were certainly the beneficiary of that. Do you see residents in single-family rental homes using them as a stepping stone, or is there a new category of renters for life? I mean, as a homeowner myself who didn't experience home ownership until my you know mid to late thirties for the first time, I can tell you the costs of being a homeowner are not insignificant, as I'm sure many of our listeners will appreciate. And so it's it, it. We often remark, we love our home, but wow, wasn't it nice when somebody else did everything for us and we didn't have to worry about all the maintenance as I'm waiting for my washer and dryer to be fixed as we speak. That's a very interesting question. There's there's a lot being discussed internally, written about. There's there's some research that we're starting to see. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence that show that. Many housing consumers are viewing single-family rental homes 
in terms consistent with how generations past viewed the starter home. So the idea was you would, you know, you would buy a 1200 square foot home in the suburbs with, you know, two bedrooms and one bath. And that was, that was your starter home. And then you moved up from that point, given supply constraints, given affordability concerns, we're starting to see people think about single family rental housing in those same terms, particularly with newly built or, or built to rent single family rental housing. People are, families are moving into these homes and from there, their next move, their first purchase is a home that's probably larger than they would have gotten if they were looking, if we were talking about something 20 years ago. That's sort of an emerging topic that is receiving a lot of attention in the single family rental home space. I certainly think it's something behind the demand for built to rent housing. You know, the other interesting thing behind demand is it, it, if you look at where single family demand for single family rental housing is the strongest, you're, you're probably talking about markets in the Southeast and the Southwest, Texas, places like Nashville, Atlanta, Charlotte, Raleigh, several of the Florida markets, and moving in, moving across the country into Texas, you know, Dallas, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, and then out to the West, Las Vegas, Phoenix, to some extent, Southern California. You're talking about markets, for the most part, that have experienced pretty significant in-migration, population growth, and job growth. Not that there aren't other markets in the country that have also experienced the same, but that's really driving a lot of the demand for rental housing, whether multifamily or single family. And when you think about it, it makes sense. If you're moving to Nashville, either for work or you've just always loved the idea of living in Nashville, there's a good chance you're going to rent until you can figure out what your longer term housing needs are. What are my commuting patterns to and from work? Where do I want my kids in school? Now, you want to take a year or so to figure all of that out, to kind of test drive different neighborhoods. And so in the meantime, renting, again, whether a multifamily unit or a single family unit, often makes sense. And if you have kids, um, if you have family, single family housing is, is, is sometimes the better option, particularly if you need an additional bedroom or an office at home. And so... So when you look at some of these markets, again, the Atlantas, the Tampas, the Nashvilles, the Dallases, I mean, these are places that have experienced tremendous population growth and job growth. And that's really what's been behind a lot of the, the growth of the single-family rental housing market in those, in those places. But the other piece that's interesting to that point is it's just as true that the for-sale housing market has also experienced tremendous growth in those in those locales. I mean, if you look at Atlanta, I would argue, and if you look at the data that supports this, I would argue the for sale housing market in Atlanta over the past few years has been as strong as it's ever been. Yes, there are people who are looking to buy homes in Atlanta who haven't been able to, but the reality is there are an awful lot of people who've bought homes in the Atlanta market over the past few years. And again, if you go back and look, you know, over the last 20 years, I, I would I would venture to guess that 
what has happened in those markets has been as strong as really it's ever been. So it's really been a good time for housing. It's just unfortunate that we haven't been building enough housing to meet the demand that's out there. So one one more question on the fundamentals, and then we'll move to some of the legislation and kind of portfolio topics. When you think about and you look at the single family rental housing space and juxtapose it against traditional multifamily, we talked about some of the dynamics, but how do you see the kind of the the lanes, if you will? Is there a merging where, you know, a traditional multifamily firm is now evolving into single family residential because it's a step up and it allows them to keep tenants in their family, you know, their portfolio, if you will? Or are the lanes quite different because expertise is actually very different and single family firms or single family rental firms and multifamily firms or multifamily rental firms? How do you see that playing out as you look kind of across the industry? It's interesting. And, and the answer is, it depends, really. I tend to look at multifamily and single family rental housing the same way that I look at retail in that it's really all residential. That's the starting point. In, in retail, you've got shopping centers and you've got shopping malls, which are, are two different asset classes, really, but it's all retail. And so there are a lot of similarities. And I think the same is true with residential. You've got a lot of variety within the residential space, whether it's um, traditional multifamily, single-family rental, seniors housing, student housing. It's all residential. But within that space, there there is a lot of variety. Just to hit on some of the some of the points you raise, we are seeing multifamily players come into the single family space, particularly with built to rent, almost exclusively with built to rent. We're not really seeing a lot of crossover from multifamily companies into into the scattered site piece of the single family rental housing business, but more so we're seeing multifamily companies and players coming into built to rent situations because they have the history, they have the expertise, they have the relationships to build units of residential rental housing. We're seeing a lot of multifamily players in the build-to-rent space building what is commonly referred to as horizontal residential or horizontal single-family rental housing. So as opposed to a vertical rental housing structure, you're seeing, again, multifamily players come in building sort of you know, horizontal um, attached single-family rental housing. So we, are, so we are seeing a good bit of that. You know, I, I think it's, you know, it, it's interesting. If you look at rental housing, you know, there is kind of a continuum at, at play here. You know, a lot of folks start off in apartment settings when they graduate from college, for example, or when they're, you know, when they're in their late teens or, or what have you. And, and they kind of, they kind of move or even, even sort of before that, you've got folks who rent in a student housing situation in college, then they kind of move post-college to sort of, you know, downtown situation, depending on where they live. And then from there, maybe they move to a single family rental home. And then from there, they move to a home ownership situation. And then many years down the road, they might move to a 55 plus or a senior sort of situation. So there's kind of a continuum of housing that I think ties all of these kind of subsectors together. Now, obviously, it's it's not as simple as that. It's not as not not, a, not as direct of a line from 
student housing to multifamily to single family rental to single family homeowner. I mean, that's not, I'm not suggesting it is, but, but, but again, there is something that ties all of those various rungs to the ladder together. And I think at the end of the day, that's really what single family rental housing is. It's, it's, it's a point on the continuum, the housing continuum that serves a need for a lot of families whether they're looking for flexibility, convenience, or affordability in terms of where they're heading longer term. So again, I, I, I certainly see multifamily and single-family rental coexisting. What it comes down to in the final analysis is, to my earlier comments, we need more housing. And that's as true for multifamily as it is for single-family rental as it is for sale single-family rental. And it's probably just as true when you're talking about the 55 plus seniors housing part of the business, which is something I know a lot less about. But my guess is there are probably some, some fairly significant supply constraints there as well. Yeah. You mentioned best practices as something that NRHC is focused on. If I'm a multifamily builder or owner that wants to get into single family rentals, whether it's build to rent or scattered site, what is one, what is the first or one piece of advice that you would give to me that I might not know from my traditional background as a pure multifamily player? The property management piece when it comes to single family rental is very different from the property management piece as it relates to multifamily. I think getting property management under control and really understanding property management and getting it to a point that, that, that you could implement processes and procedures that were good for the residents, I think that took a long time to come. And I think it's very complicated. And, and the companies, and, it, and it's mostly companies who have, who have mastered property management at scale are very innovative and have done a very good job at it and have a lot to share with the rest of the industry. And, and we can talk and, and hopefully we'll talk a little bit about that. But you know, the challenge was always in the single family rental home space, if you own a thousand homes in Houston, Texas, how do you how do you service them? I mean it's nearly impossible if in the multifamily situation you could have one building with a thousand units, you you have a property management team and they service that building. And so if you're on the second floor and you have a problem, there's a problem on the eighth floor, you get in the elevator and you go up and take care of the problem. Now, I'm not suggesting it's as simple as that, but I mean, when you're talking about every unit under one roof, property management means one thing. When you're talking about a thousand different individual roofs located in neighborhoods scattered around a metropolitan area as big as Houston, that's something else entirely. And, and that was really the challenge when it came to, to managing single-family rental homes at scale. And the thing that, the thing that made it possible, frankly, was technology. The, the, the technology caught up to the industry or the industry caught up to the technology. I'm not, you know, I'm not a technology guy, so it's hard for me to say, you know, which is which, chicken or the egg. But the reality is technology really made managing single-family rental homes at scale possible in terms of interfacing with residents across 
across the metropolitan area. Many of the companies have interactive websites. They've got toll-free numbers. I mean, all of which might today sound pretty obvious, but you know, 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't. Um, and so if you're a resident and you have an issue with a home that needs to be addressed, you can get online, you can speak to a, to a representative from the, from the ownership group, uh, from the property management group, you can get somebody out to your house that day or the next day. A lot of companies ha- have technology that enable them to schedule service technicians in such a way that the, how they're getting to their homes is as efficient as it possibly can be. And so, you know, a, a lot of that really has just come online again over the last 10, 12, 15 years and has really made this, this business go. Um, and I think it has, it has had very positive ramifications for residents as well as the owners and operators and builders behind these, behind these homes. But again, and that's still, that's still evolving. You know, I think this this industry, this business, five years from now is going to be a very different place because of what technology is bringing to this industry. When people talk about you know, the impact of technology in terms of its ability to contribute to the evolution of an industry, I mean, we're, we're seeing it every day of the week here in the single-family rental space because, again, the, the business of managing, the business of owning and managing single-family rental homes, again, had, had been around for yeah, it's been around for 300 years in the, in the United States, and really hadn't changed that much during that period of time. I mean, if I rented a home, a single-family home, many years ago, and you know, if I had a problem, the air conditioning broke down one June day, I had to call the owner, and he lived, you know, three towns over. He had to drive to the house, check it out, try to fix. You know, that 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 was sort of the business model, and then the technology has changed all of that, and. You know, the larger companies in this space who have the resources to, to really bring that, uh, adopt that innovation and, and bring those forms of technology online, I, I think are, are doing the industry a, a favor in, in that they are kind of diffusing all of this and making it possible for all of these other owners in this space. And, and, and as you well know, that's, that's sort of how you know, technology works. You have some early adopters. The technology is good for their business. They show it can work at scale and eventually kind of seeps out to the rest of the industry. And I think that's what, what's happening in the single family rental home space. Yeah. No, the, the power of technology shouldn't be understated. And, you know, as you know, from our time working together at ULI, you know, we used to talk about real estate and technology. And I've said this on other episodes, but I think that's false. It is real estate. And to be in real estate, whether it's for sale or for rent, whether it's residential or commercial or industrial or retail, you need to utilize technology to be relevant in this market. And it's evident to me that that's what's happening in the rental home space. And you're absolutely right. You know, the benefit of having players at scale enables this adoption to happen for the rest of the industry and the acceleration, in my opinion, will probably be quicker and quicker. I want to wrap a few, you know, we don't have that much more time. I want to wrap a few topics together, but, you know, there's this idea, you know, let's talk about the headlines and legislation, you know, depending on what news sources you read, you know, we talk about the really important role that rental housing is playing in the housing affordability crisis that this country currently has. On the other side, you might read a headline that says, you know, big, nameless, faceless institutional owners are gobbling it all up. And that's unfair to, you know, 
unfair to humanity, unfair to society. It shouldn't be that way. So I, I think suffice to say, this is a very politicized issue. Help us kind of bring some perspective to the politicization of, you know, rental housing in this country and, you know, maybe share with us kind of the perspective of NRHC and where you and your members fall, you know, in this debate. What I will tell you, just to address a couple of of the points that you raised, that are points that we hear a lot in terms of the corporate ownership of rental housing in in this country. And here's a place I always like to start with, with this data point, which is large providers of single-family rental homes account for less than one-third of 1% of the housing in the United States, less than one-third of 1%, which means 99.7% of the housing in the United States is owned by somebody else, mostly individual homeowners. So that's one point. You know, the, the, second, I, the second point I will, I, will, I will address is back to supply. We have to figure out how to generate more units of housing, whether it's for sale housing or rental housing. And within the rental housing world, multifamily and single family. Landlords, owners of rental housing are not villains. They're not the enemy. As a matter of fact, just the opposite. I think providers of rental housing in this country have a lot to contribute to what I was just talking about, this dearth of supply. We, we need, from a policy standpoint, we need more policy that encourages development and investment into housing, whether it's for sale housing or rental housing, multifamily or single family. And in terms of the larger companies in the space, the larger providers of rental housing in this country, that's essentially what they're doing. They are, they are providing a pathway for capital to come into local housing markets to provide more homes. And, and that's that's the role that they play. It's a very legitimate and, and positive role for local communities. When large providers, in this case of single-family rental homes, invest in a community, and, and I typically don't like to I typically don't like to refer to providers of single-family rental housing as investors, although you see that term a lot, housing investors. But when when companies are are providing capital for housing in local markets, they are committing to those local markets and those communities and those neighborhoods for the long term. And so when I talk about the fact that we need more rental housing, more housing of all kinds, but in this conversation, more rental housing, what I'm really saying is we need to have more stabilized long-term rental housing. One of the challenges in the single-family rental home space is people buy and sell homes for a variety of reasons all the time. And so there might be a home on your street that is a, a rental house that someone lives in that the owner needs to sell next year because their child is going to college. A very legitimate reason why you should sell a house and and, and pay for kids' tuition. I, I, I totally get that. With with companies in the space, you're not you're not getting that. You're getting companies who are coming into the market, they're purchasing homes, homes that are either already rentals or are going to become rentals. They're investing in those homes. We we just conducted a study again with John Burns that showed that 
large providers of single-family rental homes typically invest close to $30,000 into the homes that they purchase before anybody even moves in. So they're buying new appliances. They're taking care of the landscaping, the exteriors of the homes. They're they're investing $30,000 in these properties before anybody even moves in, which is good for the residents and it's good for the surrounding neighborhoods. But we also know through our through the data that we collect from our members that the larger companies in this space tend to hold their homes for 10 to 12 years. And so this is not a business about flipping. It's not a fast money business. It's not getting money for a down payment. You're hoping the home appreciates within two years and then you're going to sell it. This is These are companies, for the most part, who are coming into the market and they're providing a source of long-term stabilized single-family rental housing. And I think that's good for communities. I think it's good for neighborhoods. It's certainly good for folks who who need to rent or want to rent. And and back to one of your earlier questions, we're actually seeing a lot of folks who are are renters by choice. We see this with with build-to-rent a lot. There are residents who can't afford to purchase a home. They can be homeowners, but for one reason or another, they're choosing to rent. And I think that's what single-family rental housing is, is, is really all about in terms of kind of the, the macro question of what is the role of single-family rental housing. It's about bringing choice to the housing market. Forever, there has really been two choices in housing. You can buy a single-family home or you can rent an apartment. And then there's always kind of been this gray space in the middle you know, single-family rental, it's condos, it's whatever. But I think what single-family rental is doing is, is it's showing housing consumers there's another option. You know, if you're moving to a new market, if you're coming out of a situation, you know, maybe there's been a divorce, maybe there's maybe you're having another child, you know, for whatever reason, you need more space, you want a single-family home, you, you need more options, you need more choice. And and, and I hope, and I'm sure as you know, and, and hopefully as all of your listeners know, consumers typically benefit when there are more choices to be had, regardless of the product. And, and you know, that's really what providers of single-family rental homes are doing. They're bringing more choice to the housing market. I love that. And I think that's a really appropriate way to kind of wrap up this episode, because we've talked a lot about, you know, what is this segment or sector, but really it comes down to choice for the American people. And, you know, in order to have choice, we need more housing in this country. And I think the perspective that you've shared and that your organization is advocating for is really helpful. If our listeners want to learn more about NRHC or the SFR space, what's the best way for them to find you or to learn more about your organization? I'll give you three options. First, go to our website. The website is rentalhomecouncil.org. We have a second website that we created about a year and a half ago around Build for Rent. And that website address is buildforrenthomes.com. And and the four is F-O-R, so buildforrenthomes.com. And the third is, send me an email. My email address is dhoward at rentalhomecouncil.org. It's also up on the website. We have conversations with folks all the time who just want to learn more about single-family rental. What is it? Uh, you know, a lot of what we've covered today. You know, where where do you see the market going? Challenges, opportunities, that sort of thing. So, you know, any of those options make sense. Visit the websites. Send me an email. Like, again, I mentioned a number of our chapters are active in terms of 
various convenings, whether it's conferences or webinars or, or what have you. So lots of different ways to get involved. Excellent. And I know I've personally suggested many people, you know, either join the organization or participate in the feedback. It's been overwhelmingly positive. So, you know, thank you for joining me on today's episode and sharing perspectives on what's happening in the rental home space and look forward to tracking the space closely. And until next time, that'll do it. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of The Distribution by Juniper Square. If you like today's podcast, please share it with a colleague or a friend. And don't forget to subscribe and rate The Distribution on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with me on LinkedIn by going to www.linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash B Sedloff. Or you can find me on Twitter at B Sedloff. You can also find a video recording of this conversation on demand at junipersquare.com forward slash the dash distribution. Until next time.